I'm Sam Alden. Uh, this is a, a story I did called Dragon Year. Um, it's a comic. It's not a, a prose story. And we had a really interesting time figuring out how to turn a comic into a podcast. Obviously, comics is inherently visual, and a huge amount of the storytelling and pacing and mood is meant to come from visual cues, which are impossible to replicate in a podcast. And there's also a certain speed at which scenes progress in comics, which isn't quite like either film or prose, which I think you'll see what I mean when we start talking. So just to explain how this is going to work, the, the compromise we came up with is the dialogue between the two main characters will be read by Cassie and Deanna. Uh, Cassie's character, Michelle, is also the narrator. So through the story, so she'll switch between narration and dialogue, and then I'll jump in occasionally to describe the important visual information as it comes up. So again, this story is called Dragon Year. It's late at night and two women are walking home through a blue and lavender Los Angeles neighborhood. Michelle narrates. The night before I'd been playing my usual role with Liza. Liza is complaining about something on her phone. I hate her so much. I'm going to quit right now. Don't quit. I'm texting her. Hi, Joan. 7 a.m. isn't going to work for me, but maybe your next assistant will love licking your b-hole. Best of luck. Don't text her that. I'm actually going to text her that. You need this job, dude. Now they're in a car. Michelle is driving. Liza has the passenger seat reclined. I really want a donut. Can we get some donuts? Uh, I have to get home soon. They're getting donuts. Liza is reading her text draft. Maybe your next assistant loves licking your b-hole. Give me that. Now they're driving again. I really need to go look at the river. They're by the banks of the LA River. Liza leans on the railing, looking out into the dark. None of us even like working with her. So always being in charge is the only way she gets respect. Hey, we need to get home soon. That's the role that gives her meaning. They're back in the car. Liza sits bolt upright in her reclined seat. Oh shit, my wallet is still at Steve's. Now they're back at Steve's. Michelle waits at the front door while Liza stands in the center of the room and yells, Everyone! I left my wallet here. Has anybody seen it? Now they're leaving the house again. Liza is checking her phone. Uh-oh. I think I hit send. On the b-hole text? No, I sent her a wiki how on how to make her own Shit. coffee. I didn't mean to. Michelle sits on a low wall in Steve's front yard and studies Liza's texts while Liza wails in the background. Oh my god, how could I have been so stupid? I'm so fucked. After some deliberation, Michelle hands the phone back. Here, I wrote her, Oh my god, I'm so sorry I pasted the wrong URL in. Here's the correct one. And then it's just a Google Calendar invite to the meeting tomorrow. Oh, I hope that works. Thank you, thank you, thank you. They're back in the car again. It's late and Michelle is exhausted. In the background, Liza keeps rehashing the text exchange. I was seriously going to have a heart attack. I wonder if she's seen it. At Michelle's house, Michelle helps Liza to a couch. 
and gently drapes a blanket over her. Michelle, you're so generous. Yes, I am. Sweet Michelle. Sweet friend Michelle. And now, at last, Liza falls asleep in Michelle's darkened living room. And behind her, lit by yellow light, Michelle sits at the kitchen table, her eyes closed, holding a cigarette. She narrates... This is very self-serving, but honestly, sometimes I thought of myself as a kind of medieval martyr, suffering constant pains for my eventual reward in heaven. It's the next morning. Michelle is sitting alone on her front porch, watching the sunrise and texting with a friend. The friend says, she just sounds really disrespectful of your time. And Michelle replies, Yeah. It's just hard to bring up. Michelle goes inside and pours coffee for a visibly hungover Liza, who is hunched at the kitchen table in a blanket. Michelle sits down, thinks about how she wants to begin this conversation, and says, Hey, Liza. A monstrous scream from outside interrupts her. What was that? They jump up from the table and rush outside. As they round the corner of Michelle's house, the scream sounds again, and they clap their hands to their ears. It's inhuman. They stumble out onto the front lawn. A house across the street is in flames. Looming over it, a gigantic dragon, 10 stories high, is rampaging through the neighborhood. It bounds forward and disappears over a hill. Michelle stares at the spot where it vanished and narrates. I remember that first day really well. We ran over to get the Moris out of their burning house, but it seemed like they'd left for work. While Liza called 911, I tried to get another look at the dragon. There were two more in the distance, climbing around on Mount Washington. Someone started a bucket line and I ran to the backyard for a hose. But my garden was burning too. By the time I got Liza over, it had spread to the building. Liza said, Should we maybe move stuff out of your house? We packed what fit into my car and left everything else in the street. While we helped the couple next door do the same thing, Liza got a text from her roommate. Our apartment maybe got stepped on? He doesn't know. Do you need to go over there? Maybe. Let's do this first. But there wasn't much more to do. The house burns to a blackened shell. Michelle sits and watches, her face in her hands, Liza's arms around her shoulders. I kept fixating on a record I just bought. Had I taken it out? My mom loved that record. It's later. They're back in the car. Liza is driving and talking on the phone while Michelle clutches a backpack to her chest. Don't worry. She's okay. We're taking her car to my place. They arrive at an unscathed apartment block. Well, my place looks okay. Let's get your stuff inside and start calling around to see if everyone's okay. That was the rest of the day. Much later, Michelle and Liza sit in darkness, their exhausted faces illuminated by phone light as they watch the crisis unfold. The dragons disappeared around one. There had been four of them. Three neighborhoods had been attacked. Twelve people were injured, two had died, and one more would die later. I stayed with Liza for the rest of the summer. Every day I'd drive her to work and then do my own freelance or look for apartments. Sometimes I'd go back to my old neighborhood. 
I guess my landlord had sold the land, but nothing had changed yet. Some weird health stuff had resurfaced for me, probably from stress and my savings were running low. I wasn't eligible for the main relief funds and had to ask friends for money, which I really hate. Somehow the dragons had fucked up all the Wi-Fi in LA, so after dinner we waited in line for the library computers, where Liza checked her work emails and I checked my GoFundMe. Liza helped out a ton with bills and stuff. Apparently Joan paid her pretty well despite everything. Also, I learned that Liza was an amazing cook. I had no idea. She still drank too much in my opinion. And one time she wouldn't come with me to an anti-saint rally. That pissed me off. And she was always threatening to dump Will, but she was just waiting for him to do it and I thought that was cowardly. But that whole summer, she never once asked me for rent. In September, we got some bad news. Liza's roommate had scored a contract in sink construction and could pay for the apartment by himself from now on. He was kicking us out. Liza screamed at him a lot, but in the end, we got a place by ourselves in Glendale. Sometimes Liza would find me crying in our yard. Another time a toaster fire panicked me and she knew to put on a basic show and leave the room so I wouldn't be embarrassed. I spent a lot of time in bed that fall. I'd hear Liza doing my dishes and feel so ashamed. It was like something essential had been stolen from me. One day, Liza said, Hey, if it would help, I could hang on to your phone so you're not tempted to be on there all day, if that would be helpful. The next day, I asked if she wanted to go for a walk. It's evening, and Michelle and Liza are walking along the LA River again. Across the canal, lit from below by massive construction lights, workers are assembling a 10-story robotic knight. Cranes hoist a broadsword into his hands. The construction site is surrounded by high concrete walls covered in American flags and the badge of the LAPD. I read they aren't going to have legs, just tank treads. That's going to look so fucking stupid, big cop Roomba. I wanted to let you know that I think I'm going to move out next month. I found this cheap studio in Koreatown. Uh, Thanks for being so patient with me while I figured this out. What? Why are you moving out? I mean, I I just need some independence. I don't need your help anymore, so it just makes sense. It's part of going back to normal. It just seemed like things were going good. Once I have my old life back, I can stop burdening you. You're not burdening me? Am I burdening you somehow? No, but... But what? Sometimes you can be really disrespectful of my time. What? Like that night after Steve's party... I ended up having to drive you everywhere and look for your lost wallet and text your boss for you. That's why you want to leave? Here's the money I owe you from this year. Why are you doing this? You're acting weird and making me feel shitty for something tiny that happened last summer. What's this about? I'm not trying to make you feel shitty. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, Liza. I've just been so pathetic this year. I feel like you've done everything for me. I worry that you talk... I worry you talk about me... I worry that you talk about me to people like you talk about Joan. I don't. Come on, dude. Fuck. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I did all that. I just miss being the one with... 
I just miss being the one with her shit together. And like, if we hadn't had this fight, the dragon would have won. That's the end of the comic. Wow. 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 Oh, that was so cool. That was crazy. I was reading this Rebecca Solnit book, uh, A Paradise Built in Hell, when I Mm -hmm. uh, wrote this story. And um, it's kind of about the communities that form, like, in the wake of these huge catastrophes. There's a chapter about, you know, uh, the the San Francisco earthquake uh-huh. in the 1916 or whatever, and there's a chapter about 9/11 and one about Katrina, and um, in each one she sort of uh, takes apart these disasters mm-hmm. and looks not at you know the the uh, the event itself necessarily, but the the way that people respond to it and the kind of communities that form in these moments of crisis, and um, it's a very like optimistic mm-hmm. book in a lot of ways, you know? Uh, uh, but, uh, and, and she also gets into how, um, like the government response say to, um, to crises or, or, or disasters like that is often, um, uh, like also its own kind of destructive event. You know, I'm yeah. thinking of Katrina in particular. Yeah. That was what was coming to mind when you were talking about that because I went to New Orleans like the hurricane after Katrina and it brought up so many feelings from the community um, and it was just so many people were just angry at the government and was just like, oh, they didn't do anything last time. So, of course, they're not going to do anything this time. Who knows how long we'll be out of power? Like and just telling the stories of feeling completely like abandoned by their government. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, this story—I don't pretend <laughs> that it gets into any anything like too political or heavy. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess I was interested in making a um, a disaster story, I guess, mm-hmm. or um, for yeah, that that is about two people and their relationship and how mm-hmm. this kind of giant, like incomprehensible event uh, affects their their relationship yeah yeah in in kind of a small in kind of a small way almost Mm -hmm. but um yeah that was the inspiration yeah yeah i i really like in the story how um yeah it it, like and we will get into it but uh like there's like a problem before like the it's like you know it's not a perfect friendship but then there's like a pause because of the disaster but then how it comes back and because of like the disaster clearly brings them closer together in a way they probably never thought would happen. Um, that I just, I don't know. I just really enjoyed that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. W- before I even wrote the story, I knew that I wanted the, the energy of it to mm-hmm. be like sort of a, 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 a flat line and then a huge jump up in stakes Yeah, and, and then a gradual like slow down and then uh, it would eventually like come back to the same sort of ground level that it began mm-hmm. at. Yeah. yeah. Do you imagine these two characters like became friends just because they like were in the same class together? You know, like it, it. they do seem different, like where it's like they don't feel like they would naturally gravitate to- towards each other, but 
they met in some sort of circumstance that like maybe from school or something yeah that's exactly it there were earlier drafts of the of the comic where they they talked about being friends in college Hmm. and i think they were probably maybe not roommates in college but um yeah like thrust together in some way you know like you know the the way that 19 year olds in you know in college just kind of become friends because they are across from yeah across the hall from someone you know um yeah definitely has like that first freshman friend kind of feel where it's like i you're my first friend i made at college so we're gonna stay friends but yeah maybe like as their college career progressed they became very different no i really that was really interesting hearing about uh what inspired you to create this story of um because i never heard of i didn't know that there was like an author who wrote stories about cities like that and um even just the illustrations when I first looked at it, I was like, what? Is going on? <laughs> um, yeah, I thought, I think it's a really cool concept and story. So, mm-hmm. oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm so excited that it's, it's, uh, to, to hear it actually given, uh, voice, you know, because mm-hmm. what so much of, um, the work I do when I'm drawing a comic is I really try and act it out with the the characters, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm drawing in a fairly naturalistic way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not at all an, an actor, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of <laughs> guessing. So, I'm, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm really excited to hear how it sounds. Yeah. yeah. How would you describe these two characters? Like, like what, like I'm guess for, with Michelle, I'm like particularly interested in like, like, what does she like to do for fun? Like, what's the type right. of music she listens to? She seems, like, artsy. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think Michelle is someone with a lot of a lot of pride and I think some sort of, some sort of creative career. Maybe she's, like, a... She, like, does, does graphic design for, mm-hmm. like, um, uh, uh, really, like... Yeah, for like art books or something, and she mm-hmm. like freelances for like this one place in New York, but has the freedom to like travel to different cities or or, yeah. or something like that. You know, she has some sort of put together creative career, but she also, I think, something that comes out in the in the course of the story is that she realizes she, in some ways, doesn't have her shit together as much as her train wreck friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, yeah. What is what does she do for fun? That's <laughs> uh, a question. I I based her more on myself than anyone else. So oh yeah. So I, what kind of music I, do I don't you even, listen to? I don't even know how I would answer that. <laughs> to like to like um sort of frosty like Japanese new age from the <laughs> yeah. from the eighties. <laughs> yeah, like I reading her, I kind of just like she seems like a friend that's like oh, I can't Friday night. I have tickets to this band like that no mm-hmm. one else has ever heard of, but like yeah. she's so excited to go see. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah, when I was, um, I read through the comic and my first impression of Liza was that she's a little frazzled and she's kind of all over the place. Um, there's, I don't know if we can talk about dialogue yet or I don't know. There's a part in there where it's set where at the very end, Michelle says uh, something like, I want to be the one I miss being the one with that has everything together. And I was like, 
oh, so now she sees like her friend is more together than she is. So I'm thinking that Liza is still trying to figure out uh, just how to live as herself in this world. And she's being like pulled in so many different directions from like this person at work and her old roommate and all this stuff keeps happening. So um, I'm thinking that one of the reasons she likes being with Miss Shell is because she has her uh, shit together. <laughs> and, um, you know, when she, when Liza doesn't, she can like go to Michelle to be like, I don't, uh, yeah. <laughs> help, help. Yeah. Cause yeah. I have that same kind of relationship with my best friend, um, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Sarah. Shout Sarah. out to Sarah. Uh, sometimes if I'm just like, I don't, I, everything just, she's like, get it together. <laughs> you'll, you'll be fine. So that's, Nice. Yeah. That's a really. I'm. I'm glad. That's a really sympathetic read on it. Yeah. Yeah. Not to say that I am a train wreck. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. I. I. I don't. I mean, I don't know if train wreck. Maybe train wreck's unfair. I. I guess I feel like Michelle is. Michelle is kind of, um, fake mature, and Mm. and Liza is is, uh, maybe maybe immature in sort of outward ways, but has some sort of core of herself that's actually really competent and mm-hmm. she can like take care of this like uh this boss you know who seems to be uh like really needy and yeah. um she can take care of her friend when she's in need and it, it almost seems like no big deal to her you know mm-hmm. so yeah i think frazzled but with this yeah but she has this she yeah. has kind of this underlying goodness of heart or something because mm-hmm. there doesn't seem to be when michelle is kind of at her low point, uh, Liza doesn't seem to be very like, well, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? What mm. she's, it seems like she's like, okay, I, I got you. We're going to figure this out. Yeah. Which is like, okay, she's, <laughs> she's got it. She's, she's going to be okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you had, that's, I'm, I'm so glad you picked that up. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. I would just say, go read this comic now that you've heard it. Um, it's, uh, Everything is free at my website, uh, samalden.info. Uh, this comic is there, and lots of other short stories that I'm working on are there. Um, and, uh, yeah, maybe there'll be a book years from now. Um, but uh, nothing to plug now but a website. Easy to remember. <laughs> and thank you, Deanna, for coming on to Lend Your Voice. Thanks for asking Yeah, Deanna, me. do you have anything you want to plug? <laughs> I do, actually. Great. <laughs> um... I am starring in a play. Mm, uh, the play cool. is called Vendetta Chrome, and it is with the Courage Theater Company. Uh, it's playing at the Lex Theater till December 15th, and it's pay-what-you-want tickets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very, very cool show written by Sylvan Oswald about this girl named Vendetta who has to figure out who she is and where she comes from in order to save her friends and family from uh, continued karma that's been happening in the past. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of blood, there's a lot of dancing, (laughs) there's a lot of really great music in it. It's, it's a very like uh, new agey feminist play that takes place in like the 1850s about, teaching girls how to act like girls, but they realize it doesn't help them at all in their, mm-hmm. in their lives. So, or their version of 
how to be a girl doesn't help them at all. So uh, I would recommend go seeing that. Yeah. It's very good. That's amazing. <laughs> do, you, do you play Vendetta? I am Vendetta Crow. Wow. wow. <laughs> we got Vendetta Crow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> On the podcast. Yeah. Wow. Stories But Shorter is produced by Jeremy Schmidt and hosted by me, Cassie Jerkins. Campfire. <laughs>